Welcome to Acre Interview, I'm Mike King, your host, and this is part two of our interview with Hilary O'Connor Murray, callsign Toro. Toro chats about what it was like to operate the F-14D, flying with VF-213, the Black Lions, flying on operations, and she also includes some incredible stories. We also talk about her time flying the F-16 and F-18 on NSOC and how they differed from the F-14 Tomcat. I also want to thank our sponsor, Laco Watches, who were one of the original companies to produce pilot watches for the Luftwaffe during World War II. They produce both A and B dial watches in different sizes to suit all tastes, which adopt the look of times gone by but still satisfied modern demands. You can check out all their models and products via www.laco.d. Thank you. And a lot of our viewers have seen your logbook, and there's an interesting uh, entry in there on September 11th. Can you tell us about this? Uh, yeah, so um, it's a very unique one, I think. Uh, September 11th of 2001, I uh, was flying for training. I was still with VF-101. And morning flight, got in, got manned up, took off. Uh, we were just a single ship. We went up to Whiskey 386. So most of the time in Virginia, we flew Whiskey 72. So uh, if Virginia Beach is located here, we flew into a working area that was down a little bit to the south and off the coast. This particular time we were in Whiskey 386 was just up to the north. Air Kilo was the bottom border of that, for whatever it's worth. So just up a little bit north of um, Virginia Beach. And that anxiety, a little bit of anticipation about hey, this guy's grading me, get everything set up, do it right, uh, check into the working area. A couple of minutes later, the area controller comes up and says, hey, you need to return to base. Okay. Turn around, start flying back to the, the airfield. And so, you know, my instructor pilot and I are talking is like that's really strange uh, you know what, what could possibly be happening and so we get back to uh, NAS Oceana and he says eh, do me a favor and uh, ask the controller if we can get some touch and goes or something so radio up and they're like no land immediately I'm like did we do something I, I don't <laughs> think so um, so yeah we just landed uneventfully and taxied back to the line and uh, it was the Rio's job to post flight the top of the jet so he climbed down and I did my post flight at the top of the jet. When I climbed down the ladder, ladder I'm like, what, what's going on? And so, so somebody ran a plane into the World Trade Center and I just, it, it, it didn't process in my brain. Uh, and I remember uh, then walking into maintenance and control and watching the buildings fall. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange to me. I'm, to this day, don't know why they maybe didn't have us go have a look or at least be on scene. You, Maybe they just didn't know what was going on at the time. Right, and they were just trying to clear the yeah. airspace. But uh, to me, I, I, I'd love to know if, yeah, uh, there's no guilt or anything like that, but it's just like this, this sort mm-hmm. of notion, like, could I have done something yeah. or at least been able to provide the information or something? I don't know. Um, but it, it's weird to have been in the middle of something, you know, traumatic in our, our history and not realized until afterwards. Yeah, it uh, must have been a strange one for you, certainly. <laughs> it's, very, it's a very strange kind of thing. Yeah. So how long did you spend with uh, 213? I was with them for, uh, gosh, just, just over three years. Right. Standard rotation. <laughs> yeah. And do you have any memorable stories from your time on the squadron? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> Maybe one or two. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you my uh, coolest combat story. So uh, and this, 
there's going to be a lot of hand waving. This is going to be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, it is uh, September of 2003. We have come back from combat operations, and all of a sudden, Hurricane Isabel is coming up the coast of Virginia. And so what happens is the Navy puts all of their ships to sea because there's a chance of damaging with them slapping against the piers or whatever. And so they actually put the whole air wing out onto the carrier. So the carrier travels up and over around the storm as the storm comes up the coast. So we're conducting operations now off of the coast of the Carolinas. And uh, naturally, the carrier just managed to find the worst pocket of air that it was possible. Um, so we're trying to land, and we have a wingman who has no ACLS, no ILS, and no HUD. So basically, anything that tells them where the carrier is is broken on their jet. So they're flying welded wing to us, and we're in the middle of this massive thunderstorm. And we're coming down the pipe. We turn up the radio frequency to the tower, and the first thing we hear is, wave off, wave off. I'm like, okay, that's not good. Uh, so then a few seconds later, another screaming wave off. And so like our pilot's like, yeah, hey, uh, we're gonna go hang out on the uh, tanker until you find some clear <laughs> air. Cricket, cricket. Hey, 99, your signal divert. Okay, so we all start doing a, a divert profile into Cherry Point, North Carolina, which was our, our divert field at the time. And so, as we're going, it was uh, our two Tomcats and a couple of Hornets came along with us. And then we land, roll out, in the middle of this just pouring buckets of rain. And so, uh, we taxi into the line, I open up the canopy, and the canopy and the Tomcat's pneumatic. And it must have been the end of the pneumatic charge because we climb out as fast as we can, try to put the canopy back down, and there's no air charge left in it. So rain now is pouring into the canopy, uh, into the cockpit. So eventually you get the cockpit down, but now the, the chutes are soaked, so the jet's down until they can be inspected. And now it's nightfall, and so our wingman's jet is down because they can't go to the boat alone. And from what I recall, one of the hornets got struck by lightning oh. as they were doing this divert through the, the thunderhead that we had found ourselves in. Anyways, we wind up in Cherry Point for the night with nothing but the, the flight suits on our back and a, a couple of books from, from our flight gear. Um, so all the guys decide, hey, we're going to go out, going to have some drinks. Uh, it may have been uh, an adult establishment, uh, and that's fine. I go and have a couple of drinks, and some guy comes up to me and starts talking to me. I'm like, oh, please don't be trying to pick me up. Um, but you know, la la la. Especially oh. in that establishment. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then I was like, oh yeah, we were practicing Collins at Dare County, which is the bombing range that was down there. Were you doing that? Well, I wasn't today, but some of the people from our from our carrier were. Um, so then his friend comes over and starts talking to and like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I'm Army Special Forces. I'm like, are you, please don't be trying to pick me up. Um, and it's like, so we start talking a little bit. It's like, oh, we were, yeah, in Iraq. Oh yeah, we were in the north. Oh, Tikrit, Erbil, Mosul. And all of a sudden this second guy, he, he looks at me, he stops short and he goes, you're the chick. I said, well, there were several women, actually, uh, in Tomcats. There's a, there a few of us up there in the North flying. He says, no, 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 no. I was Flirt Bravo 1. You were Nemex 03. You saved my fucking life. And I'm like, 
I, I, I've had a couple of cocktails now, <laughs> but wait a minute, that was, a, that was an ATO call sign. And, and then he proceeds to quote to me verbatim a conversation that I had had on the radio one night in Iraq. Really? Uh, it was literally the person who had been on the other side of the radio during one of my, my bombing missions in Iraq. Oh. Uh, they were in town doing training from Colorado. We were on this weather divert, never should have been there in the first place, and we just sort of bump into each other in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Um, so it was pretty crazy. Um, this particular mission in Iraq, uh, we had been hanging out, waiting for tasking like usual, and we got a call from our controlling uh, agency and says, okay, you've got uh, troops in contact that need air support and tuned up and uh, they had uh, been taking artillery fire coming out of a mountain they couldn't exactly see where it was he threw a, a laser spot out there but it was just hitting the mountain and so what we did is use the uh, the lantern pod the the laser pod on the uh, aircraft and searched and i found the line of artillery coming in and so then we employed our weapons and called in some more aircraft and um, and uh, basically took care of the threat that was overrunning them. So That's a crazy story. Just randomly it, bumped in. Isn't so. it absolutely insane? Yeah. I, I, I can't make heads or tails of how that happened. That must have felt good though when actually meeting the guy in person. Uh, well, and it, it was a really uh, horrible period of time in my life. I uh, came home from the war to find out that my husband had a girlfriend. Oh. And it was one of those things where I you know, had, had a lot of depression going on and questioning why, why was I doing all of this and why was I, uh, did I make poor decisions? And it was uh, just very, very wonderful and, and unexpected to be able to say I was in the right place at the right time for that and Certainly a pick made sense of everything. Brilliant story, that. Um, but before we move on, overall, did you enjoy your time on Tomcats? I love Tomcats. I absolutely do. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of things that I wish were different. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on it at all, but uh, fighter aviation is a rough place, particularly for women. And, uh, you know, you can have the greatest job on the face of the earth, and if you aren't being treated right, you're not going to stay with it, and there's a reason I'm not with it anymore. Was that commonplace? Uh, you know, plus or minus. I think okay. different people have different experiences and different um, um, tolerances for things. So, mm. um, but you know, I, I got to a point where I, I wasn't interested in um, what I felt was an abusive sort of situation anymore, and so I, I moved on and did something different. It's crazy to think of that in this kind of day and age. You know, maybe back in the eighties or something, but probably weren't allowed the female aviators back in the eighties. No, uh, the combat rest restriction for women in the U.S. was lifted in 1993, okay. and so I started flying in 1999. So it was, it was a pretty fresh uh, situation still. Uh, many of my flight school instructors had come from the era where they, didn't, they flew without women. Um, many of them were great guys and, and very supportive, but some of them had a lot of old-fashioned uh, ideas and weren't shy about sharing them. Very odd, I wouldn't say that. You then joined the Naval Strike and Air Warfare Center. Can you tell us about this and how it happened? Yeah, uh, so NSOC is 
like you said, the Naval Strike and Air Warfare Center. Uh, it's located out in Fallon, Nevada. It has a bunch of different divisions. So the most famous one, of course, is Top Gun. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked for a different division called Strike. So what we did was uh, training for all of the air wings getting ready to deploy. So basically where Top Gun does 1v1 fighting, at, at the very basic sense, uh, Strike does the multi-plane strike packages, self-escort type uh, ingress and egress training. Mm -hmm. Originally had planned on applying to test pilot school, but somewhere along the way I kind of shifted over to, to having more of a focus on tactics. Mm -hmm. If I had to do it over again, maybe I would uh, <laughs> go back the other direction, but you know, uh, hindsight is of course 2020. Of course, yes. Um, but it was a it was a really unique environment. Uh, it's out in the Nevada high desert, so just lots of open space, um, and it was a really unique opportunity to to get to fly different aircraft. Mm -hmm. So while I was en route, I got a transition to Super Hornets. So I was fully qualified to fly Super Hornets. We had F-18 A through Ds, and we also had F-16 Bs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I actually got the opportunity to fly mm -hmm. F-16s, which you know even a handful of Navy people have ever had had that. Um, it was a very different experience. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the Hornet a bit. How different was that coming from the Tomcat? Oh my gosh. Uh it was the same but different. You know, uh, have you ever had an old car that you loved and was a, a workhorse in a tank and then you get into something shiny and new and uh, you still love your old car mm -hmm. but you can appreciate having all of the, the satellite navigation, the radio and all, all of the fancy mm -hmm. little things too. Um, I once, when I was getting my, my requalification, I flew a jet that had seven flight hours on it. It had the new airplane smell still, <laughs> which was a, a lot different than the experience of being in Tomcats where you had all of these little tricks about which circuit breakers to pull in which order and how to reset them in order to like trick it into wanting to work for you. Mm -hmm. um, you got in the jet and everything just turned on. It was, it was pretty neat. Um, it was a very different role though. Um, so in Tomcats, for example, the Rio was the radar officer. It was your primary focus uh, at least half of the time. Um, and yet in Super Hornets now, that went to the front seat. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a very different um, division of responsibility. And you know, it's something that you can learn, but it was, um, you know, maybe a little bit uh, new and scary because we don't <laughs> like change. Uh, no, but uh, uh, one of the really cool parts about going back to uh, training again was one of the um, instructors that I flew with had been my TACORG pilot from when I was at VF213. Oh, okay. So it was his second yeah. tour was being an instructor there. So uh, several of my flights in Super Hornets were with my pilot who was my, my assigned pilot for mm -hmm. most of my time in 213. So yeah. it was the same but different, yeah. the same again. And um, yeah. It was new uh, and exciting and rewarding, and yet uh, made me miss my, my old Tomcats too. <laughs> but was the F-18's performance far superior in terms of a maneuverability compared to the Tomcat? Well, I would say not superior, but different. Okay. Um, you know, once again, you go back to advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to, to uh, employ it for one thing versus another. Um, the one thing you had to pay attention to much more was your fuel state. Um, whereas the Tomcat, you generally didn't worry about that until like well into something. Um, and two, if you run out of gas, there's no way to fight. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how, how maneuverable you are if all of a sudden... So plus and minuses on both sides, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, not, not to get too much into the, to the details of how or why, but it, it, it had 
a different feel to it. And sometimes feeling it turn on a dime was exciting and thrilling. Mm -hmm. um, but once again, if you did it the wrong time or didn't take advantage of your energy state, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what you're doing with it if you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So as a whistle, what was the difference between coming from the classic models to the Super Hornets? Was there a big difference for you in the back? Um, so I actually ended up flying Super Hornets before I flew Baby Hornets. Um, Sorry, that's what we call them. <laughs> um, Legacy Hornets, I suppose, was the other way that people said it. But The Super Hornets had a lot fancier avionics, at least. Um, so it definitely was something that was uh, more interesting from, from an operator standpoint, uh, or pure backseater standpoint. Um, also, the, the flying at NSOC was a little bit um, less crew coordination intensive. Um, so you spent a lot more time um, observing as opposed to being involved in a, in a, in a crew component um, since what we were doing mostly was flying red air. So instead of um, practicing employment, you were practicing red air profiles. So it was a very, very different feel from, from being uh, uh, the person using the equipment to being the one portraying um, um, setups for... for um, Foe enemies for the for your your training purposes. Mm -hmm. And what should you prefer to fly the F sixteen or the F eighteen? Um, I like them both mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's like telling me to pick between my children. <laughs> um, so the F 18s were a little bit more designed for for crew coordination purposes. Mm -hmm. So there was more uh, from a. Uh, professional standpoint to, to, to do in an F-18. Uh, the F-16s that we had were B models, mm -hmm. so they were antiques practically, yeah. and steam gauges, you know, I think there was an MFD shoehorned in there, but uh, but they were little rocket ships. Mm -hmm. So um, you could put a, a full nine G's on them, and especially too since we were using them as red air profiles, you went out there and just burn the gas as fast as you could and and uh, it was a lot of fun flying mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I like them both I would fly either one mm -hmm. in a heartbeat mm -hmm. um, I couldn't tell you I like one better than the other <laughs> right. so how long do you spend um, at this in this role and do you enjoy it I spent three years there as well so a full tour um, it had its ups and downs again um, the problem I think I think with being a WIZO at NSOC was the flight hours were very hard to come by. Um, there were fewer jets there that were two-seaters and it wasn't necessarily the priority to fly you. So there was uh, one year where I barely made minimum hours for the year just because they were trying to spread it out across all of the people there. Uh, it was very rewarding in the sense of being able to help um, develop and offer the curriculum for people who are getting ready to deploy. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, it was a professionally fulfilling, mm -hmm. um, but definitely uh, missed out on, on having uh, regular flights and, yeah. and often. And Brilliant. So what happened, what did you do after you left the Navy? Um, I was a little bit aimless for a while. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, so I ended up interviewing for a few things and nothing felt like a right fit. 
And then I recalled the fact that one of my early collateral duties in the Navy was uh, as our squadron legal officer. Now mind you, it was not the greatest collateral duty in the world because you're dealing with all of the problem children and, and, and missed out a lot on, on being able to celebrate the uh, and guide the enlisted people working for you. But on the other hand, I realized that I was pretty good at it and heck, I like to argue. So I, uh, I ended up going to law school. As you do. <laughs> and do you, are you actually a lawyer currently? Is that yeah, what I'm a lawyer. I'm licensed to practice in California. Oh, brilliant. So apart from aviation and arguing with people, um, <laughs> do you have any hobbies? Uh, I'm an avid knitter. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> Going from an aircrew to a knitter. Uh, I, I absolutely love to knit. I taught myself when I was 16 years old. I got it in my head that I wanted to knit. I got a book from a, a shop and, and uh, have never stopped since. It's actually very healthy. It uh, activates the same centers in your brain as meditation. Oh, right. Okay. So uh, it keeps me from stabbing people. And <laughs> if I ever do feel the need, I have pointy sticks. There you go. So. You're equipped. Mm -hmm. So is this a, a business or just a hobby for you, just for yourself? Oh, just a hobby. Yeah, uh, yeah there's, there's no way in the world to make a business of, of handwork. It takes too long. And uh, uh, the, the, the standard joke is uh, knitting is like sex. If, uh, if I love you, it's free. If not, then you don't have enough money to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from that, um, uh, the favorite aircraft you've flown? Tomcats. Tomcats, absolutely, doesn't it? Uh, sorry, it's, it, it, the Tomcat will always be my one true love. Of course. Is there one you wish you could have flown that you haven't? Uh, I would love to have flown an F-15. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, I think they're just beautiful. They're almost as pretty as Tomcats. Almost. Almost. Not quite. Um, but then too, there's like a lot of um, antique planes. That, so like um, Hellcats or Wildcats, if I ever had the chance, I think that would be like kind of the... Ticking the box. Mm. So overall, did you enjoy your flying career and how many hours did you get? Oh, I'd have to check my logbook for hours. Um, it's probably less than you'd expect just because flight hours were hard to come yeah. by at NSOF, but uh, you know, more than the average bear. Exactly, yeah, brilliant. Well, Toro, thanks very much for being on the show. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate you inviting me.